exciting time of the year. Joy to see these young people up here, and they've reached this stage of life. And the longer I'm here, the more I see these kids change. And uh, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the high schoolers. Um, when I first came, I remember Jill Siebert talking about this fourth grader named TJ. And I was brand new. I didn't know who this TJ was, and all I knew is TJ was a source of conversation among the Big Wednesday staff. And I thought, uh, well, I wonder what kind of family he comes from. And uh, well, I found out, he came from a very good family. And uh, he's an Eagle Scout. That's just great to see. Preston has just developed into this amazing musician. It's going to be great to see what God does with him and through him. He's got a depth to him as well. Stormy, uh, relatively newcomer, but is plugged in so well and just a strong faith, coming from a strong Christian family. Uh, Alyssa, I think of Alyssa, I think of that wonderful smile. And she's always willing to help children, and now she's going to be a teacher. That's, that's cool. Uh, Josh, I would call him a quiet leader. He has a servant heart, but he is a leader. Uh, three of these guys are up here today helping with our worship team. We are going to miss them big time. Uh, but just seeing them grow in their faith and their musicianship has been really cool. Uh, Rebecca, probably don't know you as well. I know I don't know you as well as the other, but showing uh, some growth there, and it's going to be good to see what God does with you. So these are just really some fine young people. And uh, you grade school grads, you're going to be up here again in four years, and we'll talk about you at that time. And I think of Brady and Breton. They were both in my high school small group and graduated from college now uh, just amazing. And then uh, we have older graduates, too. Only one here today, but Amanda, congratulations to you. So anyway, great day. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 4, or if you have your devices, we're going to talk about the soul. And this is the second to last sermon. Next week, we're going to talk about the dark night of the soul. But today, we're going to talk about the soul uh, because it is more important than your body, more important than your mind or your will, it is the deepest part of you. And you need to fill your mind with the right stuff, and you need to take care of your body, you need to make good choices, but none of these are important as a healthy soul, and from that will spring other good things. Jesus said you can gain the whole world and excel in all these areas, mentally, physically, socially, and still lose your soul. And there's going to be graduation speeches all across the land this month and next month, and they'll encourage grads to fill themselves, to find themselves, to have confidence in themselves and reach for their dreams. And that's all good stuff. But very few will talk about the most important stuff. Because when your soul is healthy, the most basic part of you is healthy. So your soul needs hope and eternal future. We talked about this on Easter Sunday. There is a yearning within that there is something more than this life. And God has said eternity in the heart. And the soul knows there's more to life than these few decades. The soul also needs a keeper. And that keeper is you. You are responsible for it. The soul needs God. We were created to live in and with God. And when God is absent, the soul is sick. The soul needs freedom. And that freedom comes, ironically, from submission Submitting to God's will and God's way and God's spirit in you. And the soul needs rest. Deanne, last week, talked about how we all have a story. And I love hearing her story. I, I love hearing people's stories. And everyone's story needs these elements. A keeper, we need God, we need freedom, we need rest. At baccalaureate, Wednesday night, every one of the speakers were talking about this. You have to have a healthy soul. Now, when kids are younger, we ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? Good question. Believe it or not, I've always wanted to be a preacher. 
What are your dreams? What are your passions? I want to be a policeman. I want to be a nurse, whatever. But that is really somewhat of a misleading question because it insinuates something really completely untrue about life. It insinuates that life is about arriving at a profession or a job title or a career or arriving at a graduation. You've made it. Well, no. No one ever really arrives. You never really make it until that ultimate final destination. In the meantime, we never make it. Let's say we do become a police officer or a nurse or a preacher or whatever. You've arrived. Not really. And you discover that arriving at some place is in and of itself not an end-all. It's just another step. And the problem is some people think once they reach a certain step, they've made it, they can relax, I'll be good, I can live happily ever after. Mm, no. There are no happily ever afters in this life. For some people, the goal is to get married. Once I get married, I will have made it. Once I get married, we will live this happily ever after life. And you know, if you've been married, that is not the case. It's just the beginning of the longest, most excruciating and blessed journey you've ever been on. And the big one for older people is retirement. Once I make it to retirement, I can live happily ever after. There are no happily ever afters. Not in this life. So life is not about arriving. You don't stop learning when you graduate. You don't stop working when you get your first job. You don't stop growing and changing. Life is a journey. And I know that's a way overused phrase these days, but it's still true. We are headed somewhere. There is a final destination, and we will arrive someday, but it won't be in this life. We will arrive when we are completely and fully reunited with God for all eternity. So I think a better question is not, what do you want to be when you grow up? A better question is, who do you want to be? As you grow up, what kind of person do you want to be during this journey? What kind of soul will you be developing? Don't think of arriving. Think more of developing. But a big problem, here's the big problem. The world does not teach us to pay attention to what matters. We, we'll talk about what we've accomplished, and the world will let you talk about that. The world will talk about arriving at certain destinations, not so much about what we're becoming. The world talks about careers and not character, and the advertisements we watch and the conversations we hold are largely to keep us from attending to who we are, our souls. Some of our young people are going off to college, and there is a professor at Yale who wrote uh, about secular education, and he wrote this in his book, Secular education nurtures an overdeveloped self and an underdeveloped soul. He just admits it. If you go to, on to college, secular school especially, you have to realize your education will be fully incomplete. I mean, you have to find some ways to nurture your soul because the education system will not. I found this quote. It says, credentials on the wall do not make you a decent human being. Develop a soul. So we should be thinking of two documents, two, uh, two parts of us, and especially for you graduates. Number one, your resume. What are you going to do? Your education, your work. This includes your, uh, who you're going to marry and if you marry. Uh, some of the bigger decisions of life. That's your resume, and it's very important. But you're also developing your eulogy when you die. Someone will get up and eulogize you what will they say? And I know it's hard to even think about this, you know, when, when you're young and all that, but we all need to be thinking about this, that our eulogy is being written right now. And it's mostly about your soul. 
Ah, there'll be a little bit about your career and your success. But it'll be a lot more about your character and who you are. What kind of soul will you have? When I get to my funeral, I'm hoping people will not have to lie about me. Jesus told the story in Mark's gospel. And what's nice about this story, he interprets it for us. We don't have to wonder what he's saying. He says, listen, a farmer went out to sow seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and the plants were scorched, they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Down in verse 13, it says the seed is the word or the gospel. The seed is a constant in this story. It doesn't change. So this is not a story of good seeds and bad seeds. It will take root if it's given half a chance. The farmer is also constant. This story isn't about good farmers or bad farmers. The one thing we do notice about this particular farmer is how careless and even and generous he is. I mean, he scatters the seed everywhere. So we have good seed. We have a generous farmer. They're constants. It's the soil that's the variable. And for the word soil, I want to put in the word soul. This is a parable of four different souls. Matthew 13, 19 said, The seed is sown in the heart, in the deepest part of you. And heart and soul are often paired in the Bible. So Jesus interprets it for us. Verse 15, Some people, some souls, are like seed along the path, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So some seed falls on the path, and it's like concrete. The seed doesn't have a chance. This is the hardened soul. Over in Matthew, Jesus said, These are the ones who don't understand. They hear it but they don't get it. Maybe they were never taught. Maybe their upbringing was bad. Maybe they didn't get it because they've been hurt or disappointed and they form a protective shell and become cynical or bitter or suspicious. They're just hardened. You know people like that? Just can't get through to them. Joseph's brothers were hardened against him because they thought that their, well, they knew their father loved Joseph more than them. So they hated Joseph. And their soul was hardened with envy and hatred. And so this could be an angry person, a person who sees himself as a victim, life's not been fair, or someone has hurt me, and they just get hard. The religious leaders were hardened against the gospel. They viewed the word as a threat, and a lot of people see the gospel as a threat. I might have to change my ways. I might have to change my thinking. I may have to turn loose of the reins in my life, and I don't want to, and so the soul gets hardened, doesn't let the seed in. There's a variety of reasons for a hardened soul. Graduates, don't be a hard soul. Be receptive to what God wants for you, and be open, because that's and see what God wants to do in you. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The idea here is a thin layer of topsoil with solid rock underneath, and the seeds sprouted and had life until the sun came out. You know, the heat comes, and it withers quickly. The rocky soil hears the word, gets baptized, joins the church, goes to youth meetings. You know, their friends go, so it's kind of cool to go to youth and church, but it really doesn't go very deep. So when the times of suffering, the time 
come or the times of joy subside or maybe you go off to college and it's no longer cool to be in church or maybe you're even made fun of for your faith, the plant shrivels up and dies. This is the superficial soul. And we need to understand that the world and the enemy wants to keep our lives superficial. It wants to keep our lives shallow. So that when the tough times come, the enemy knows it won't last. There's a story of an old guy in the backwoods of Kentucky who could be counted on to show up at revival meetings. How do you remember revival meetings? That's a while back. Uh, <clears throat> some evangelists come in for a week or two and they'd preach every night and they'd have a full house every night. And this guy would show up at these revival meetings and every time, sometime during the week, he would come down forward and he'd give his life to Christ and confess and everything. And he would especially pray out just out loud, Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. You know, fill me, Lord. Fill me, Holy Spirit. And he repeat, repeated this over and over. But within the next few weeks or so, he was back to his old lifestyle. Nothing happened. He was just shallow. Then the next round of revivals would come. He'd be there again. And he'd, he'd get moved. And he'd come down. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Well, there was one time he was down on his knees yelling to the ceiling, Fill me, Jesus. Fill me. Fill me, Jesus. When at the back of the church, some yell, lady yelled out, Don't do it, Lord. He leaks. And the truth is, we all leak. We all need refills. And it's easy to backslide, especially when you go through trials. But some people leak to death. And they just don't, they don't make it. The crowds that followed Jesus were leaky. They were excited about Jesus when he taught and did miracles and fed them. But when tough times come, they run. I do have some predictions for our graduates today. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. In fact, someone last week asked me what I thought I'd be doing in three years. I said, I don't know. I don't have 20-20 vision. Get it? <clears throat> but I'm not a prophet, but I am pretty confident about these predictions. Number one you will face adversity. Most of you probably already have had some adversity, but you will go through some excruciating times. There is no story that doesn't have this. And I guarantee it. And that is when the depth of the soul will be tested. Statistics show that a percentage of you graduates will fall away from the faith. Do not let that happen to you. You need to go deep. Richard Foster said, superficiality is the curse of our age. And the desperate need of our soul is not intelligence or talent or education. The need of our age is depth. And the soul is the deepest part of you. And the world is conspiring to keep you shallow and keep you on the service and not let the word sink in. A soul has depth when it knows God deeply and is walking with him and talking with him and knows God's word and God's people. And you can go on living a shallow life for a while, but sooner or later you need roots. And those roots will anchor you through the storm. Verse 18, still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So the soil hears the word, accepts it, grows, but ah, it's choked. And notice the plant doesn't die, not like the rocky soil. It just becomes unfruitful. The plant lives, but it's not good for anything. His life is just full of weeds. So the weedy soil is the cluttered soul. Lots of things. He's got, he's got some straggly plants growing in his soul, but the weeds are winning. And Jesus lists three of these weeds. The worries of this life, when worry dominates, 
you will focus on your problems instead of focusing on God. And your problems will become bigger than God. And problems and worries start choking God out of the soul. And instead of going deeper with God, they move away from Him. I have seen worry conquer faith over and over again. Another weed is the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth fools us into thinking that life is okay, and it tricks us to thinking it can bring security or that it can bring happiness. If I have more money, I will have all I need and I'll have joy. And there's a little truth to that, by the way. Studies show when you make more money, you do have more happiness, generally. However, after you reach a certain income, uh, around 75000 some people surmise, making more than that doesn't increase happiness at all. Up to a certain point, there is some increasing satisfaction, but after that, it levels off. Now, Donald Trump is pretty rich, I understand. Probably richer than anyone here. But I'm not sure he's happier than anyone here. I know people who make $50,000 a year are a lot richer. Not better off than people who make $300,000 a year. So if we believe money will bring more joy, we have been deceived. And we will pursue money and not God. Jesus said, you cannot... He didn't say you will not. He said you cannot love God and money. You will choose one or the other. And many souls have been deceived by the deceitfulness of wealth. Graduates, don't be fooled. Third weed, the desire for things. That word desire is a word for more. Two weeks ago, I mentioned that we are limited in every way except one. We're limited in our intelligence and our willpower and our morality. We're limited physically. We're limited chronologically in every way. But we are unlimited when it comes to desire. The soul always wants more. And that desire can only be fulfilled by an endless, eternal God. He, only God is big enough to fill that need. But what so often happens is we chase after superficial objects rather than chasing what we truly need. You know, when I get that new car, I'll be happy. Yeah, for a couple days. And then we want more again. I get that new wife, I'll be happy. Yeah. But it won't fill your soul. Here's my second prediction. Prediction number one, you'll have adversity. Prediction number two, you will be tempted to get involved in stuff that will choke the word out of you. You'll be tempted to sell your soul. You'll get busy. You'll have a lot of things clamoring for your allegiance. You'll be tempted to live a cluttered life, and the weeds will overtake the seed. Someone once said, if the devil cannot make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because either way, the soul will shrivel. And clutter may be the most dangerous of all these because it is the most subtle. We think because we're busy, we are important, and that means there's a lot of demands on me. And so clutter means I'm an important person. And a person preoccupied with all the clutter of these externals may be dying internally and not even know it. Be aware of your soul. That's something deeper, that spiritual part of you. And then others, like seed sown on good soil, Hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Now, if you were a farmer in Jesus' day, a tenfold crop would have been very, very good. But 30-fold, 60, or 100 would have been unheard of. This is miraculous. And Jesus uses hyperbole to make a point that if this seed can find good soil, it will produce an unimaginable crop. Good soil is the productive soil. You let his seed into you, you will produce beyond what you could do on your own. And God will use you in ways you may not even aware. He will multiply what you produce. Here's my third prediction. You will accomplish many things. You will produce 
Now, what you produce is another question. But you cannot live and not produce. God has given you gifts and talents and abilities. And if you open up that soul to the seed, God will multiply that production and you'll produce a lasting eternal crop. So don't seek how much you can get out of life. That just clutters the soul. Seek how much you can give and be a productive person, a servant. Because givers are producers and God will multiply whatever you give. I know a lot of people who get a lot out of life. They don't produce anything. In the late 1800s, there's a young girl named Hattie Mae Wyatt who attended a very small Pennsylvania church. And that church had been growing and they needed to add on some space and some Sunday school space. In fact, they had times where Sunday school kids would be lined up outside, couldn't even get in because it was so crowded. And sometime after learning this, Hattie Mae Wyatt got very sick and died. And after her funeral, her mother brought 57 cents to the pastor of the church. Hattie may have been saving to give to the building program. She wanted to see other children come to Sunday school. 57 cents given to the pastor. Pastor took the 57 cents, turned it into 57 pennies, and sold each one of them to people in the congregation. He said, now this is the first gift to our building fund. You can multiply it. And out of those 57 pennies, he came up with $250. And then he turned around good, again, took the $250, turned them into pennies, and sold them uh, to people in the congregation, and they gained enough the second time to buy the house adjacent to their property for which they could expand. 57 pennies becomes property. That initial gift of 57 cents then eventually led to the formation of the Wyatt Might Society, the purpose which was to enlarge on that first 57 cents given by Hattie Mae Wyatt, And using the influence of that little girl's gift, the society raised additional funds and the congregation was able to expand even more and continue to grow to over 5,600 members by 1912. And it was in this church that several institutions were founded, including Samaritan Hospital, now called Temple University Hospital, which has helped to heal thousands, as well as Temple University, which has educated 80,000 young people, 57 cents. Let that seed in your soul. Who knows? Now, the productive soul does three things right that the other souls do not. It welcomes the word instead of being hardened. It is open to the gospel. It welcomes it deeply. Instead of a shallow faith, it is deeply committed. Be all in, 100%. Stay in church. Get into a college ministry and it will not be withered by hard times. And it welcomes it exclusively so that other concerns do not strangle it. So three predictions for our grads. You will face adversity, and it will test how deep the word is in you. You will face temptation to get too busy and a cluttered soul, and it'll choke it out. And third, you will produce. And if you're open to God's word and become a giver and a server, he will multiply it and he will use you beyond your capacity. So don't ask, what will I be when I grow up? Ask, who will I be as I'm growing? What kind of soul is developing? What's going to be said at your eulogy? We need a soul that is deep, focused, and productive. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessing and goodness to be with our graduates, especially today, these men and women, and thank you for this step in their lives, and we look forward to seeing how you will 
lead them and where you'll lead them in the next stage. And our prayer and your desire for each of these graduates is to, that they'll be a productive soul that welcomes the word deeply and exclusively. May they walk with you. When they stumble, may you pick them up. When they succeed, may you give them wisdom. And may they know the depth and the riches of your goodness and blessing on them. In Jesus' name.